Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Would you remain standing with me for the reading of the word this morning? We're in Acts chapter 5, beginning there in verse 27. It says, And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. But God exalted him in his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up and claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed, and it came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it's of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not, stop, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. Lord, we thank you today for your word. Lord, we thank you today as we... Look at the early church, Lord God, as we look at the, the foundation of the church, Lord, here in Jerusalem. We thank you, Lord God, that you desire to encourage us today. Lord God, you desire to, to challenge us today. And so we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, we give you the opportunity in this moment. We silence our thoughts and all the distractions, Lord God, and we just want to focus in on your word. Lord God, as we look into it today, we do so with a reverence. We do so with an expectancy. Lord God, believing that you desire to speak to your people, we give you thanks for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Praise God. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Happy Palm Sunday, everyone. Can you believe we're here again? Praise God. I want to encourage you. Next week is Easter Sunday. And so we're going to have three services, and so I want to encourage some of you, you guys are the early birds, you can come a little earlier next week, all right, and make room for those coming later. Uh, we're excited, we're going to have a service at 8 o'clock, okay, so you can come just a, an hour earlier, 8 o'clock, uh, 9.30, and then at 11 o'clock, okay, and so bring somebody. I hope you've been praying about somebody to bring uh, to the house. We're going to celebrate, we're going to worship together. Um, let people know it's about more than the Easter Bunny, Okay. Um, give them a box of peeps, that's fine, but then tell them, come to church with me, all right? Um, this is what it's about. We're, we're continuing to journey through the book of Acts, and 
Uh, in our journey last week, we talked about this miraculous prison break that took place, right? And, and it happened because of an angel of the Lord. And this was ironic because those that were opposing the apostles here, namely the Sadducees, didn't believe in the supernatural and they didn't believe in angels, but apparently angels exist, right? And they were on the side of the apostles. Now, we talked last week about why this miracle happened. Why were the apostles set free? We said they weren't set free to hide. They weren't set free to to run for the hills. Now you can just go run, right? They were set free to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, church, it's the same in our lives today. We are not set free to simply hide out and bunker down until Jesus comes. There are are some Christians that are like ultimate preppers, like we're just going to get in the bunker and we're going to wait till Jesus comes back, right? But we were not set free to hide. We are set free to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so here's the Sanhedrin, these Jewish rulers, and they were shocked last week because they put these men in prison, and when they went to go look for them, they weren't in the prison. And they were even more shocked because as they look across the temple courtyard, there they are once again preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus. Here they are defying their orders once again. But because they feared the crowds, because they recognized they were losing their influence on the people, they politely asked the apostles, to come and stand before them. And so here are the apostles, they're standing before the Sanhedrin, they're standing before uh, this leading council of religious leaders. And, and as they stood there, I think the, the rulers expected the apostles to be intimidated. After all, they're the authority, right? I mean, even the way that the council would gather together, all dressed up, all 70 of them sitting around, right? It was meant to be intimidating. You ever go to court? Some of you don't want to admit it, right? A parking ticket, right? Or a speeding ticket, right? You notice the judge is a little higher than you. It's meant to be intimidating when you stand in the court before the judge. Can you imagine standing before these 70 religious rulers? But here are the apostles, and they're not intimidated. I mean, they're standing there rather unbothered. They, they knew these men had authority. They knew they had power. After all, this was the same group that had crucified Jesus. But the apostles are filled with the Holy Spirit, They've just been released from prison by an angel, and so they stand there unafraid. Now, in that council that day, uh, I tend to think that there was probably a young man in the room who was a a bit of a hot shot, if you will. He was an up-and-coming leader in the religious community. He was a rising star. He was a a student of Gamaliel, who we read about in the text. He was a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. Now, I know you're saying, Pastor, it doesn't say anywhere in the text about Saul, who would later be known as Paul, but I believe he was present in the room that day because later in Acts 26.10, when Paul is speaking about the apostles, he says this, I cast my vote against them, okay? I believe Saul was in the room because we're going to see in the next few chapters, he's the one who becomes the prominent persecutor of the church. And what was the charge against the apostles by these men? It was this reminder, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Again, it fascinates me. The high priest won't even use the name Jesus, right? He says this name, and later on he says this man's blood. He won't even mention the name of Jesus, and we know why, because there's power in that name, amen? But, but the high priest is reminded, he's reminding him, didn't we tell you not to teach in his name? And I feel like Peter should have reminded the high priest of his response the last time he was asked not to speak in his name, right? Remember on the last occasion when Peter and John are standing before the same council, 
They said this, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. They say, stop speaking in this name. And Peter basically says, no. (laughs) Politely, sir, respectfully, sir, I'm not going to do that because God has already given the apostles a command that is higher than the authority of this religious council. You know, in general, in the New Testament, it teaches us that we ought to submit to those who are in authority over us. Okay, Romans 13 is all about submission to authorities. And I believe this, as believers, we do this because it's God's design for us. Understand, God has set up for us legitimate institutions of authority. If you're following in the note sheets, it's for this reason. It's for our good, and it's for our protection. It's for our flourishing, if you will, okay? It is good for children to honor their father and mother. I thought I might get a few more amens there. It is good for children to honor their father and mother, right? Exodus 20, verse 12 says, Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Paul makes note in Ephesians 6.2 that this is the first commandment with a promise. Kids, hear this. The promise of submission to your parents is long life, okay? If you honor the ones who gave you life, you will be blessed with more life. If you don't honor them, well, I'm sure you've heard the expression, I brought you into the world and I'll take you out. Some of you know that like scripture, man. But understand, submission to any form of authority is done first as an act of obedience to Jesus Christ. And since this is true, then it means there is a limitation to our submission. God wants us to know that submission on a human level is never absolute. We are never to give unconditional allegiance to any authority under God because we are commanded to obey God first. If you have a job, okay, Understand, your employer is the authority in your workplace, okay? And so you listen to him. You, you listen to her, and I, and I hope you, you work hard in that place, right? Because that's a testimony to them of who God is, okay? However, if your boss comes to you and tells you, I have something I need you to do, and you know it's unethical or it's illegal, you have every right to say, I'm sorry, I can't do that, and I won't do that, Right? Wives, Scripture tells you to submit to your husbands, again, out of reverence for Christ. In other words, the order and structure that God has set up in the home puts authority, okay, and therefore ultimate responsibility, men, okay, on the husband. And and so, wives, when you submit to your husband, you show reverence for Christ. But if your husband is working on your taxes, this might hit a little close to home this week, If he's working on his taxes and he decides, you know, we're going to fudge these numbers a little bit, we're going to change this around, just get a little bit more back. We could use that, right? And you're aware of it. And then he tells you, just sign here. You should not submit to him, and you should not do that. You can clearly say, no, I will not do that because God tells me not to lie, right? You see, in those situations, the clear command of God supersede the direction of human authority. Understand, there are times when the clear commands of God supersede the direction of human authority. Right now, the church's allegiance to Christ is increasingly under attack. It it is very likely that in the years ahead, there may be laws that are passed about what I can say and what I can't preach from this pulpit. It's already happened to our neighbors in the north, okay? And it seems like we're not too far behind. 
But if the government were to forbid me from preaching on biblical morality, if they were to say, no, you can't say that, but I know it's clear in Scripture, then my first responsibility is obedience to God. My, my first responsibility as a preacher of God's Word is to teach the Word of God and, and then take my punishment, right? Whatever it is. If it's a fine, if it's jail time, whatever it is, you guys are going to come visit me, right? All right? But I'll tell you this, in this place, we're not going to stop declaring truth. We will not stop declaring the truth of God's Word. Because here's the reality, when the clear commands of God stand opposed to the laws of man, I must obey God rather than man. I think this, this COVID season was challenging for many churches. Because again, we read Romans 13 and we, I think, mistakenly gave our government a higher authority than God. There are those that would say, well, pastor, our state says we need to shut our doors. Our state says we can't meet. Our state says we should be outside. Our state says now we can be inside, but we can't sing inside, right? And hear me, this has been challenging for all of us. It's been a challenging season to navigate, so I'm not judging anyone, but I've said it before, we're not closing our doors again in this place. We're not. Regardless of what variant pops up, we're not closing our doors, and some have said to me, Pastor, well, how do you say that? Don't we submit to the state authorities? Not when the authorities ask us to do something that is contrary to the word of God. Okay, the direction of scripture tells us we should not neglect meeting together. The word of God tells us that this time is important, especially as we see the day of Christ's return drawing near. Christians everywhere will at different times and different places and to various degrees have their ultimate allegiance tested. For many that day has already arrived, and for others, the day is fast approaching where we will have to stand with the apostles and declare, as Peter does in this chapter, we must obey God rather than man. But I got to tell you, when you take that stand in your life, whether it's in your workplace or in your home, it will cost you something. It will cost you something. And the question for each of us today is, do you know where your ultimate allegiance lies? Do you know where your ultimate allegiance lies? Nebuchadnezzar was the authority in Babylon, but three Jewish young men stood and put their lives on the line to say, no, we're not going to bow down to your idol king. If we perish, we perish, but we're going to do it obeying God. Amen? I'm sorry, Acts got me a little fired up. All right, continuing on, verse 30. Turn there, verse 30. Peter clearly expresses the gospel message here. It's, it's very clear in these couple verses. He says, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. Peter declares it was the God of their fathers who raised Jesus. And what he's implying there is that this Jesus movement is, is really a fulfillment of Judaism. Peter understood that historical Judaism was leading to Jesus. And so he gives credit for Jesus' resurrection to the very same God that this council claims to worship. As we celebrate Easter Sunday today, as we we move into Passion Week as we look ahead to Good Friday. We have a good service here, Good Friday, 7.15. Encourage you to be here. As we look ahead to Easter Sunday next week, this verse is so appropriate. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead. This needs to be said. This needs to be declared because the resurrection is central to the gospel message. The resurrection is central to the gospel message. It, it lets us know that Jesus conquered death, and, and it was an ultimate sign that his message was true and that his sacrifice on the cross was accepted by God the Father. But what's so interesting here is that the leaders don't even try to refute the resurrection. Do you notice that? 
Like, there's no argument that comes from them. If anyone's going to argue against the resurrection, it would be this group of men. If ever there was a good time to refute this claim that Jesus was risen, this would be the time. You've got the apostles standing before you, right? Show the evidence, shut this thing down. But they had no evidence to refute the claim that Jesus had risen. In, in fact, the vast majority of scholars believed the grave was empty and the Jewish leadership knew all about it. I believe many had no doubt that Jesus had risen since they were the ones who had paid off the guards to lie and to say that the disciples had stolen the body. Like if you really believe the disciples stole the body, you can be sure they would have done everything possible in their power to find it, right? But there's absolutely no account of the religious leaders or of Rome searching for Jesus' body. And so Peter boldly declares that it's the same council that's guilty of having Jesus killed by crucifixion. The high priest complains to the apostles. He says, you're trying to bring this man's blood upon us. And I love it because Peter doesn't even flinch. In essence, he says, yes, you're guilty. You're guilty. And the truth is, we're all guilty, aren't we? Every one of us. Jesus went to the cross for our sins. And what we understand about crucifixion is it was one of the most effective ways to make someone suffer for an extended period of time. It was one of the most effective ways to humiliate someone before their death. And previously, Peter had been a coward, but now he's bold and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 31, he says, God exalted him to the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Jesus had made the claim before this very same body of rulers that he was about to be exalted to the right hand of God. It was a reference to a messianic psalm. It's Psalm 110, verse 1, where he said, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstools. And when Jesus said this, man, it infuriated these leaders. Because to be at God's right hand meant not just that he was sovereign over Israel, but that he was sovereign over all creation. And when these same leaders executed Jesus, they claimed to be doing it because of blasphemy. They were putting Jesus on the cross. It was understood to be a curse to hang on that tree. But Peter is saying now, right now, Jesus is exalted, and he's the ruler, and he's the leader, and you guys, you're the blasphemers. Right? Can you imagine how that was received? God has exalted Jesus as the Savior, and now he offers repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sin. Notice these two things go together, repentance and forgiveness. Repentance and forgiveness go together. If you want forgiveness, repentance comes with it. If you want repentance, forgiveness comes with it, okay? But these words, I, I think they must have done it, man. This was the straw that broke the camel's back because the priests are sitting there, right? They're a part of this council, and the job of the priest was to help people with their sacrifices in order to cover their sins. And in essence, Peter's saying here, you guys aren't needed anymore <laughs> because the Lamb of God has come, right? You guys aren't needed anymore. I mean, the simple declaration that they needed to repent would have been enough to make these leaders angry. Peter could not have made stronger claims, but every word he said was true. Listen, we know Peter used to put his foot in his mouth, right? He used to sometimes speak up when he should have stayed quiet, but I believe every word he spoke here was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And maybe there were those that were sitting in the council that day that heard and believed, but many of them sadly continued to harden their hearts. Verse 32, Peter says, and we are witnesses to these things. 
and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Peter wants to make it clear, we are witnesses. These, these are not just opinions, guys. These are, these are not fables. Jesus is who he said he is, and so he continues to stand in obedience to Jesus. He continues to do what Jesus asked him to do, which is to testify to the resurrection and the words of life. And can I just say that's our responsibility as well? When we're given the opportunity to speak of the resurrection and to speak these words of life, I have to ask, have you ever witnessed to someone about what God is doing in your life? But here's another question. Have you been given the Holy Spirit? Because if you have, then you should take every opportunity that God gives you. And I'm not saying you should, you know, shove the Bible down everyone's throat. But I do think you should be mindful. I think we should be much more mindful and much more watchful of God-given opportunities when the Holy Spirit's prompting us to say something, right? I would even encourage you, pray for opportunities and then watch God answer that prayer by speaking through you to someone who needs to hear the gospel. Peter also says that God has given the Holy Spirit to those who obey. Obedience begins with repentance. It begins with turning from our sins and and accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And from that point, we continue to grow in the Word of God. We have fellowship with one another. We learn to hear the voice of the Spirit of God in prayer. And when we hear Him speak, and when we obey, that obedience, as we obey, we see the power of the Spirit at work in our lives. Verse 33, and when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. These rulers are so furious that they begin to plot against the apostles. Now, notice there's no threat from Peter against these leaders. Peter's not saying, you guys are done, this thing's over, I'm going to tear this place down, right? There's none of that from Peter. There's, there's no threats. There's just a boldness to declare truth, but the reality is that truth is a threat. But there's no good response for what Peter and the apostles are saying. The, the, the council couldn't argue from facts. If they, they could, they certainly, again, would have said, man, Jesus is dead, let me prove it to you, but they have no logical response, so instead they just get angry. They were cut to the heart. They were, were so convicted that they got angry and plotted to kill the disciples. They're thinking to themselves, man, who do you guys think you are? That you would stand here and you'd say that to us. Don't, don't stand here and blame us. Do you know who, who we are? Now, why are they so angry? number of reasons here, right? Again, Peter just claimed the rulers didn't represent God, so he's not going to obey them, <laughs> okay? That's enough to get him angry, but look at the first reason here. Peter accused them of being responsible for Jesus' death. That this blood's on you, which is amazing because earlier they said, let the blood be upon us and our children, right? Number two, he told them that Jesus is now sovereign over all things and that Jesus offers repentance and forgiveness. Number three, he finally says, you would know all these things if you had the Holy Spirit, but you don't have the Holy Spirit because you disobey God. Wow. Do you understand why they're so angry, right? It, It makes sense when you understand it like this. Here's the reality. These men should have been on their faces asking God to forgive them because they knew that Jesus died and rose from the dead. But they were were too hard-hearted and too proud to even think about repenting. And so instead of dealing with their hearts, they want the apostles dead. Listen, when, when you want to stand on your point of view, but you have no basis of argument for that point of view, all you can do is get angry at others for declaring truth, right? And that's exactly what happens here. And it sounds a lot like what's happening in our world today. In America, there used to be an understanding of truth, 
and then there was a tolerance of truth, and now there's an anger and a hatred toward truth, right? Again, when you don't have a good argument, all you can do is get angry and attack those who hold a view that you don't like. You have to silence a view that you can't argue against, and the apostles say, how are we going to shut these guys up? That's all they want to know about. Again, they didn't ask them, man, how'd you guys get out of prison? Like, that was miraculous, right? You're like, what's going on? Because Jesus' body just disappeared and we don't know anything about it, right? They don't ask any of those questions. Instead, they come back with anger. And look what happens next, verse 34. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in high honor by all the people, he stood up and he gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And so Gamaliel, this famous rabbi, he speaks up and he says, you know, get, the, get these guys out of the room for a minute, guys. We, need, we really need to talk. But it raises a question, right? If the apostles weren't present for the conversation, then how would Luke know what was said in the room? Any guesses? I, I think Paul was in the room. <laughs> I, I think this young protege of Gamaliel was in the room and he was able to tell Luke later on, listen, this is what went down, okay? Now, this council was primarily Sadducees. There were many Pharisees on the council and, and these Pharisees were very well respected. Because the Pharisees always stuck to the letter of the law. They followed the law exactly. And so Gamaliel is a leading Pharisee. He's respected by everyone. Sources tell us he was probably the most esteemed of all of the Pharisees. And he says, put these men out so we can have a conversation in private about what we're going to do. Look at verse 35. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. Right? And then he begins to talk about all these that had come before him. Gamaliel begins to use these examples of messianic pretenders who came before Christ. But these men, these false messiahs, if you will, were military leaders that were revolting against Rome and often revolting against the temple. But the Jesus movement is different because it is a nonviolent movement and the followers keep coming to the temple. I think this council almost wished that they would do something violent so that they could, you know, uh, deal with them, right? But they keep coming to the temple and they, they, they keep de- teaching the, the words of Jesus. And in reality, disputes over what was right and wrong in the law were an expected part of culture. And so this group would have not been so unusual in that regard. But Gamaliel is wrong in his comparison because he's comparing different things, and yet the point he's making is valid. It's this, that God is sovereign, and he will see that this movement ends if it's not of him. And so Gamaliel says, don't oppose this early movement. Let's just tolerate it for a little bit longer. Now, is what he says from God yes and no, right? Again, the the comparison of Jesus to these military leaders is not a good comparison, but really... His tolerance is justified. You see, I I don't think any religion should squash or silence completely what other religions have to say. I'm a strong believer in free speech because I think when we have an open discussion, in the end, the truth wins out, okay? And, And the problem right now in our country is too often honest discussions are being silenced, okay? You see, as a Christian in the United States, I'm not looking for special favors. I simply want a level playing field, right? Where others have a voice, Christians should have a voice, because again, given the opportunity to speak, I truly believe that truth wins the day. Gamaliel says, if this is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. In one sense, he speaks the truth because if something is of God, you can't oppose it, right? We all know this, man. You can't win fighting God. And yet at the same time, we know in our human perception that, that sometimes a lie seems to prevail. 
Like it doesn't always look like truth is winning out in the short term. But we know this, ultimately truth prevails, amen? I read the end of the book, spoiler alert, we win, okay? <laughs> Jesus Christ is, is victorious, the truth wins out, okay? But I, but I think this council all understood, man, if the people and the leading Pharisee were opposed to the council's decision to execute the apostles, this is not going to turn out well, and so reluctantly they take Gamaliel's advice. But remember this. Gamaliel is the rabbi who discipled Saul, who later became Paul, the apostle, and the disciples always strive to be like their rabbi, so at some point, I think Gamaliel's perspective on things began to change. Just a few years after this passage, when the public begins to turn on the followers of Jesus, it was Saul that led the efforts to imprison and kill Christians at the consent of this very same council. And so how did the council respond in this moment? Well, it says there simply, they took his advice. This man, Gamaliel, may have saved the apostles from death that day, but there's no indication in Scripture that he found salvation for himself. Gamaliel, to me, was the ultimate fence-sitter. He didn't want to decide with the council against the apostles because, you know what, this just might be true. He didn't want to side with the apostles because... Man, that could certainly cost him absolutely everything. And so instead he says, you know what? I'm going to be Switzerland for a while. I'm just going to remain neutral, right? And I'm going to wait for some more evidence. But what more evidence would it take? I mean, this man had heard Jesus teach. He saw Jesus work miracles. He saw him die on a cross, and there was good evidence that he rose from the dead. There are men standing in front of him as witnesses to that fact, and their boldness that day, man, it speaks volumes. They had just been miraculously set free from a prison. He sees all of this, and he says, you know what? That's not enough evidence. I'll wait for more. And I want to say to you, if you're here today, and you're still undecided. You say, I don't want to reject this message, man. There could be something to it, but I believe the Holy Spirit's at work in your life because why else would you be here today? But if you're not sure you want to commit, you're not sure you want to follow Jesus, can I just say it's not for lack of evidence. The evidence is in. You don't need more evidence. What are you going to do with what you've heard and what you've seen? You see, to stay undecided, to stay on the fence is to be decided. To stay undecided, to stay on the fence is to be decided. If you're living your life on the fence, you've already made a decision against Jesus. You have the evidence. The evidence has been in for over 2,000 years. And for some of you, this is the weekend to get off the fence. Scripture says today is a day of salvation. Look at verse 40. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. And they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Understand, this was not a slap on the wrist. This was probably 39 lashes prescribed by the law in Deuteronomy 25. And these whips that they used, they were made of, of leather, of calf hide. And so the victim of the beating would have their arms stretched out, tied to two posts, and then it would be 39 lashes. It would be two across the back and one that would come around the chest. That way they counted in threes, right? They didn't want to go over 39. And a beating like this would usually result in the flesh being torn. And so one by one, these apostles stand and they take this beating. They take the humiliation. And yet I don't think a single one of them said, Peter, man, why couldn't you keep your mouth shut? 
Like, Peter, why, why you got to go on and egg them on? Next time, keep your mouth shut when we stand before these guys. No, no, I'm sure every one of them knew that the Holy Spirit had spoken through him. And this was the Sanhedrin's attempt at intimidation. We can't kill these guys, but man, we're going to make them suffer if they keep naming the name of Jesus. Verse 41. This verse almost seems like it doesn't belong here in this chapter. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that day that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Every one of the apostles left the presence of the council that day rejoicing. Can you picture them? I mean, here they are. Their heads held to the heavens, smiles on their faces. There is rejoicing on their lips, even though there's probably uh, blood on their chests and their backs. It's almost hard to picture because it's kind of an odd sight. But it was a sign that this conflict was not over. It had only just begun. They were beaten. But what, I, what amazes me as I read the text is the text doesn't make a big deal about it. Now, let's be honest today. If you and I were beaten like this, we'd make a really big deal about it, right? I mean, we'd be talking about it for years. You remember that time God let that happen to me, right? I was really questioning God at that point in my life when that happened, right? But hear me, it's not a big deal to the apostles. Why? Did it not hurt? Like, did God give them some supernatural ability to handle the pain? I don't think so. If he didn't do that for Jesus, I don't think he did it for the apostles. I don't think God the Father did it for the apostles. But here's what I I know they knew in that moment. They knew that their Savior had suffered and been dishonored for them. And so now they considered it a privilege to suffer and be dishonored in his name for obedience to him. The Apostle Paul, well, after his radical transformation later on, he's going to write to young Timothy and he's going to say this, if we suffer with him, we will also reign with him. If we suffer with him, we will also reign with him. Would you stand with me today? Here's the reality. I think the suffering of these disciples seems so small because to them Jesus was so big. And so, yes, this was suffering. Yes, this was severe suffering, but Jesus was so much bigger. Listen to me today. Your suffering can be great. And I don't want to diminish the suffering of anyone in this room. I know some of you are going through it. I know some of you have have really gone through it. But can I just say today, compared to the greatness of God, it's nothing. Again, I'm not trying to dismiss your suffering. I'm just telling you, let Jesus be way bigger in your life. Let Jesus be way bigger in your life. If you haven't surrendered your life to him, I want to encourage you today, stop sitting on the fence, okay? Yield to him today. With all of this intimidation and with the beating, the apostles did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. They didn't even avoid the temple because of these threats. They kept going every day and preaching and teaching, and their message was, Jesus is the Messiah. That's what the title Christ means. They continued to preach that Jesus was the one that the prophets had predicted. I'm sure they showed how Jesus was the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham, right? To bless the world through his seed. And how Jesus is the one like Moses who will deliver us from the bondage of sin and lead us into the promised land. But what can we learn from this message, right? Church, what can we take with us today? Well, it certainly tells us that we should not be afraid to speak the words that the Holy Spirit puts on our mouth. 
We ought to respond in obedience to what Jesus commands us to do. And if anyone tells us otherwise, we can say fearlessly, you know what, I have a a higher authority. I must obey God rather than man. Listen, we don't fear those who can kill the body, but rather we fear him who can cast both body and soul into hell. And so we should look for every opportunity to speak the words of life. To be completely honest with you, as I read this passage this week, I was so convicted. I was convicted by the apostles' joy after suffering. Because let's, again, let's be honest, we suffer a little bit, nothing compared to what the apostles suffered, and we start whining and complaining to God about our suffering, right? But hear me, if we suffer for obeying the Holy Spirit, we should rejoice because that puts us in some good company. We should remember that those who obey are filled with the Holy Spirit. And as we receive the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit directs us, sometimes he's going to call us to do some difficult things. Listen, today is Palm Sunday, right? It's a, it's a day when we celebrate Christ's triumphal entry. But here's what we know about that day. Many that stood in the crowd and praised Jesus as he entered Jerusalem on a donkey were the same ones who were a few days later saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Say, what happened between Palm Sunday and Good Friday? Well, the popular opinion about Jesus began to change. And for some, that's all it took. Are we like those that stood in the crowd that day on Palm Sunday? Or are we like the apostles standing before the Sanhedrin? Are we those who are willing to suffer shame and abuse for the name of Christ? And all of it comes back to our relationship with Jesus. When you know who he is, you can't help but declare it. So the apostle said, can we really keep quiet about what we've seen and what we've heard? Listen, I believe this church that if we live in daily communion with Jesus, if we put our lives in his hands, he's going to give us the strength to endure with joy whatever comes our way. Amen? Amen. We're going to do one thing as we close today. As we close with a song today in worship, we're going to give you an opportunity to give. This is our Mission Sunday, and so we generally take a second offering on Mission Sunday. And I love this offering because none of it stays in the house, okay? All of it goes out to support missionaries that we stand with around the globe, okay? And today as you give your missions offering, here's what I want you to know, that you're standing with and supporting some missionaries who are standing on the front lines in some dangerous places, and boldly declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? And and so let's stand with them in our giving. Ushers are going to come. They'll receive the offering. If you're giving through PushPay, you can give through the general missions category. But regardless of how we give, let's lift our voices. Let's ask the Holy Spirit, amen, to make us bold as his church this week.